Turn to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. We'll read the first 20 verses. And I have two people that I've kind of looked. I try not picking on anybody or trying to overlook anybody. Anybody like read Scripture? I like for the church to participate. This is a participation. Uh, this is a uh, participation in worship as we do that. And if you would, um, Rosemary and, and Jennifer, if you would. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angels to his servants, John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads and the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the servant, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins, but by his freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, and those who pierced him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Omega, the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Myrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, 
what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands in this is this. The seven stars are the angels and of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Amen. Thank you. May God add blessings to the reading of his word. We need a revival, and we need a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what this is is a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he's revealing things that I believe that will take place in the end times, but this is a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the one, obviously, that John, his uh, friend, laid, John laid his, his head on Jesus' bosom. Things have changed, right? And we're going to look at that today because I believe that God is saying something. We need to be prepared for what God is doing in the earth today. I want to tell you, when I was reading this on several occasions this past week and just kind of pondering it, in my heart. One time there was a, a sort of like in, in me, I experienced a joy, a peace down deep in my heart. There was like an exhilaration. Just read. It says whoever reads the scriptures will be blessed, okay? And then he goes on and later on he'll say whoever changes this, obviously uh, we don't want a curse of God on us, but he's saying here that we are blessed. Anybody who just picks up the book of Revelation or really the word of God and you are blessed. But there was joy that came just kind of like just rose up within me. And the next time I read it, actually tears came to my eyes. There was an emotional response that took place. And, and just reading, just sitting and reading this, this is when you look at this and, and you say, yeah, Jim, but it's a lot of symbolism. And yes, it is. But I want to tell you, it's, it's, it's about Jesus Christ. And it's a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we really had a revelation of Jesus in our hearts, I want to tell you, to set you free. But I want to tell you today, if you're born again and you've been saved, you had some type of revelation of the Lord Jesus. You had a revealing in your heart. And the word is actually means to unveil. You had an unveiling there of, of the Lord in your heart that you realized that you were a sinner and the only one that could save you would be Jesus Christ. And you realize as the Lord touched me in my mid-30s and, and early in life, but, but where he really just dramatically touched me in a powerful way is I realized that he would have gone to Calvary if I was the only sinner. If I was the only one on this earth and I was a sinner, certainly I would be, that he still would have went to Calvary for me. I realized that. And, and that revelation to me has changed me, and it has actually propelled me to do what I do on a regular basis. It does not mean that I have it easy, and it doesn't mean that you have it easy as a Christian. In fact, sometimes it seems like it gets harder, because then we realize that there, there's a spiritual battle that's going on. But it propelled me, it, it gave me the momentum to push through. It changed my life, because I went into ministry at that particular time. And I surrendered, did not know where I would wind up. I did not know where I was going, but I had faith in God, and God has directed my path. Have I always done it right? No, not at all. Don't get me wrong. But it changed my life. We need a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. You had it as you were saved there. So that unveiling, I believe that God is doing. One day you'll stand before him, and you'll see him as he is. You will stand in his glory, in his presence. You will face him. And you take your last breath, I believe, that you will see Jesus at that point. You'll be in the presence of the Lord. When we're absent from the body, we're present with the Lord. We go immediately into God's presence. There's no stopping off point. There's no waiting. 
There's no more of this soul sleep and all these things. We go into the presence of God Almighty and we will see Jesus. So I want to share with you some things today that may be eye-openers. I believe that will be something that will help to sort of like spur us on, to give us that momentum to say, Lord Jesus, I will follow you. Here, John was on the island of Patmos. He was chosen by Jesus, of course, and he was there, and he wrote this revelation of Jesus there under the inspiration of uh, an authority of God Almighty. A wonderful blessing there, and God called him out. So I want to look at a couple things here that you want to see. Jesus, as he's revealed in the book of Revelation, in verse 10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And so Jesus identifies himself with the phrase first and the last. In Isaiah chapter 48, the Lord says, Listen to me, O Jacob and Israel, my, my call. I am he, I am the first, and I am also the last. Indeed, my hand has laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand has stretched out the heavens. And when I call to them, they stand up together. I want to tell you, anybody certainly during that time, if you said this, then it would be blasphemy. So Jesus was saying things here, obviously, that he was labeled, and we know that uh, religious leaders called him out and said, you have blasphemed against the Lord. And he claimed to be the first and the last. The alpha is the first letter of the Greek uh, alphabet. Omega there is the last word, and last or last letter of the alphabet. In, uh, in John, he talks about that. He says, in the beginning was the Word, Jesus, and the Word, Jesus, was with God, and the Word, Jesus, was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. He is the first. Everything issues through Him, and He is the last. Everything finalizes in Jesus Christ, as we see. And so Jesus, if you think about it in the book of Colossians, it says that Jesus holds all things together. In other words, that aren't you kind of, aren't you amazed? You ever thought about it? Probably not, because I don't think about it a lot. But the gravity here on planet Earth is exactly the right power to keep me from being thrust out into space. Think about it. Everything is circling as far as the universe, and even in this galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, it's working, it's being held all together by Jesus Christ. Amen. It is being held together. If he let it loose, it'd be flung out into wherever, out in the, in the darkness, may, it, may you say it that way. He holds it all together. He had us born at exactly the right time that we were born. He says in Psalm 139, I knew you were when you were in your mother's womb. You're wonderfully and fearfully made. He knows when everything, he is in complete control, he is completely sovereign. And here, John is encountering the glorious Jesus Christ there on the island of Patmos in verses 7 through 8. He says, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him. Even they who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty. The revelation of Jesus in this book will unveil the divine nature of Jesus Christ, he says here. And he says, what you see right in a book 
and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Tyre, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands here. We see here, John is seeing one like the Son of Man, seeing Jesus standing in the midst of his church. The seven lampstands represent the church there. Eighty-three times in the gospel, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. This is the Jesus that John is hearing from and seeing. And we see that John describes Jesus as he sees him in this revelation. I saw seven golden lampstands in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his feet and girded with about his chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool and white as snow. All of these are symbolic of things, very, very important. And I want to mention real quickly these, the symbolism here. We'll try to keep in mind and make it really simple here. He's clothed in a garment down to his feet, and he's girded about his chest with a golden, lamp, a golden band here. The garment actually emphasizes the dignity of his office as Lord. He will later judge the world and in chapter 19 as king of kings and lord of lords. He is in regal authority. Here we see in Isaiah chapter 6, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. This is a picture of majesty. A picture of majesty. Blessing. Think about it. Get it in your mind. When I was thinking, reflecting upon this scripture, reading through, it's, it's sort of like I, I, I'd like to, in my mind, get a picture of this, what John was seeing. Can you imagine how awesome it was? You know, we just sang, you know, about an awesome God. Can you imagine what was happening? Can you imagine what heaven will be like? I can't even fathom what heaven will be like today. And those that are in Christ will go into heaven and be there with the Lord throughout eternity. Yes and amen. Hallelujah. This is where we're headed. And so John's given us a glimpse here of what it will look like when we're there. The wonderful blessing. The blessing. And so symbolically, the garment is speaking of his authority and his majesty there. And remember in... Uh, where it goes on there in, I believe, chapter 19, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The Bible says the place shook and at, at the, that sound and was filled with the Shekinah glory. The whole earth is filled with his glory. He says that. Isaiah speaks of that. So why don't we see the glory of God like really we will one day? It's because right now our eyes are veiled to a certain extent. We can't see it. But you can kind of get a glimpse. And you say, yeah, but Jim, you know, Colorado is just full of God's glory. But Houston, Texas, come on now. You know? You're like, man, it's just as flat as a flitter. And you know, the beauty of the mountains, the beauty of the, the snow-capped tips on the mountains, all these things and stuff. Boy, I really see God in those things. Ask God to open your eyes what he sees around you in your neighborhood right here in Houston, Texas. Unveil my eyes, Lord, that we can see the glory of God. Back in November of 1985, I give my testimony many times on this when God changed my life and I went a different direction in my life. And, and I had an encounter with the Lord there and uh, 
a blessing of just being touched by the Lord. Changed my life forever. Never, never have been the same since then. And I realized in that encounter with the Lord that he was just barely just released. I remember so distinctly at that time that at that time that he just unleashed just a little bit of his glory because I realized at that time if he had loosed his fullness of his glory, this body cannot take the fullness of his glory. We would be ripped to pieces. But one day, we'll have new bodies. We'll have those spiritual bodies. Certainly, we'll have those <coughs> as Jesus had also, exactly like Jesus, that, that wonderful glorified body. But I realized this old fleshly body could not take it. But the glory of God, I didn't know much about all these things at that time. I was studying, <coughs> but I didn't. But I realized then that the glory of God is so powerful. <coughs> when you see John saw his hair was white like wool, white as snow. It actually is symbolic of purity and wisdom. And his eyes were like a flame of fire, actually, able to look into the depths of men's hearts there. And, and this is able, he's able to make righteous judgments. In other words, when God judge it, judges, he will do it perfectly. That's a real simple way of saying it. When he judges, and he will judge this world one day, and he will judge those who are not believers also. There will be a judgment, the great white throne judgment. And those who have rejected him will stand before that great white throne judgment and be judged. There will be no excuse that they rejected Jesus. You know, you see so many deaths today. You see so many people going out into eternity. You know what my thought is many times? I even turned this week and I said, did they know Jesus? I pray that they knew Jesus before they left this place. There are bombs being put around and, and so forth. There's political rhetoric that's inflammatory today that seems to keep people right on the edge of their seats. And I wonder, do they know Jesus? Do they know Jesus, you see? One day, they will stand before the judge, you and I, not at the great white throne judgment, but before the judgment seat of Christ there to give an account of what we have done for him if we have been obedient. We talked about John 15. We've talked, Jesus said, you know that you're my friend if you do what I command you to do. Have we been obedient to the Lord? One day we will be judged, not for salvation if you're born again, if you've been saved, but what we have done for the Lord. And so there is a judgment that's going there. It says his feet were like fine brass as if refined in a furnace here. And I believe brass is symbolic of judgment here. And Jesus walked in righteous judgment. He's been tried in the fire and found faithful. He's about, a, he's about to walk in judgment towards his church there, talking about it. He will judge the church. And, and Jerry brought out, and I believe rightfully so today, when we talk about the church at Laodicea, the different ages, the different time. I have in another, another Bible the different uh, years that particular churches here, you start out with Ephesus, the church at Ephesus. And I believe we are in that church, Laodicea, the lukewarm church, because we think we have everything and we're in need of nothing. And Jesus said, I'm getting ready to spit you out of my mouth because you're naked and you're not humbling yourself before me, asking for help. You're saying, we don't need you. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man opens the door, he'll come in and sup with me and him with me. And I don't believe that's just for unbelievers. I believe that is for the church today. You got Jesus knocking on the door saying, I won't back in my church. We say, no, no. We have all our religious ways. We've got it all together. Let me tell you, when revival comes, obviously we'll say, we don't know anything. 
Why? It's because we'll be dependent upon the Lord. We get spiritually proud and think we've got it. And I believe that's the church at Laodicea, which is a church. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and I'll heal their land. If we humble ourselves, he gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. You see, when we came to Jesus, we had to humble our hearts saying, I am a sinner in need of salvation. Until you do that, many today, I don't need God. And that's what this country has said. We no longer need God. I believe it started way back as this downward spiral, but I believe it certainly could be said that it started in 1962 when they took prayer out and they began to say we could not have Jehovah God back in the church house today. We can't. Any other religion, yes, it's fine. But let's just kick Christianity out. And somehow the church, I believe, has stood by and allowed it to happen. You and I need to vote here in a, a week and a half or so, and we need to put righteous people in there as much as we can see and discern through prayerful prayer. Get out and pray that God would, would come. This country is at a turning point, and I believe, obviously, it could be very, very devastating. I look, I'm, I'm this far through life. Y'all know me. But I look at my children. I look at my grandchildren. I look at future generations. This country is on a downward spiral unless we have revival. Let me tell you, there'll be no hope because there is no other hope except Jesus Christ. Him alone. Jesus is revealing himself here. Maybe it's a heads up. Maybe, yes, we're going to look at these symbolic things and, and we are in awe of Jesus because of his majesty and awe of how powerful he is. His voice was like, like mighty rushing waves. Have you ever stood at the bottom of a waterfall and you've heard the water rush over? You know, it's like awesome. It's like it drowns out everything. This is what John was saying the voice of Jesus was like. It's like he, uh, uh, just hard to imagine there, like many waters there. He had the seven stars there, I believe. It could refer to angels or it could refer to the pastors of those churches. Either way, Jesus holds them in his hand. He controls their destiny. Out of his mouth went a sharp double-edged sword indicating the power of the word of God. Don't ever underestimate the power of God's word. God's word is powerful. It's living. It's active. It's like a double-edged sword goes in and it pierces to the very conscience. I want to tell you today, God's word is powerful. And I say this today in practicality, when you're around people you love and all that and, and all, and maybe they, the spirit of God has wooed them and you're sharing the word of God. Be confident in God's word. God's word is powerful. Not everybody will receive. And we're not responsible. Our responsibility is to plant a seed. It's throw the seeds out there. Y'all throwing seeds out there? You're not responsible for the particular type of soil that it's going to fall on, but your, your job and my job is to plant those seeds, pass it out there today. Time could be short. Jesus could come back at any moment. Jesus here is saying his countenance was, John was saying his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength, emanating from him in the light of glory. That is the glory, the glory. Remember what happened to Saul of Tarsus? Remember? He was heading to Damascus on the road to Damascus and the glory of God knocked him down flat. The glory of God. You hear songs, the weight of his glory, the glory of God knocked him down. And remember what happened? He was persecuting the church. All of a sudden he changed. And what did he say? He said, Lord, what do you want me to do? 
we encounter the Lord, one of the things you're going to say, the first thing is, Lord, what do you want me to do? Just like Isaiah, we encounter His glory. I want to tell you today, we need to encounter His glory. We need to encounter Him. That our hearts would be turned to say, Lord, let me get rid of all this stuff. Let me stop putting a priority upon this old worldliness because the Bible says that somehow when worldliness comes in and takes a priority, actually we're at enmity with God. God is saying, get all this stuff out of our lives and let Jesus come in. And remember what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light here. All of this is an unveiling of his majesty and the glory of Jesus here. You know, a lot of times I hear people casually saying, oh man, God and I, we're, you know, we're buddy, buddy. And a lot of times I hear people saying, and don't, please don't say this, the man upstairs. Don't say the man upstairs. It's God Almighty. We have that, un, that too much of a familiarity and that casualness. And I'm not saying that it's not intimacy with the Lord and God doesn't want to know his heart and so forth. I'm not saying that. Don't get me wrong. But I'm telling you, we've got, we, well, you know, I just had, I, I shook hands with, you know, with God and all this kind of stuff. All, sometimes just ridiculous stuff and so forth. What happened when Job encountered the Lord? Remember what happened to him? And he was in the presence of the Almighty. Remember what happened? He shut his mouth. You remember Daniel lost all of his strength in the presence of the Lord. And remember what happened to Isaiah? He said, woe is me. I'm undone in the presence of majesty and glory. Don't be too casual. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that type of familiarity, what we do is we take away from his majesty in that sense. In, in our own way. Certainly, he is God and he always will be God. Don't be casual there. Remember what happens here. Yes, he's awesome, but it was a kindness and tenderness when he reached down and he put his hands on John, remember? There in the scripture. And he said, don't be afraid. It's me. I'm the Alpha and Omega, the beginning of the end. Remember? He said, don't be afraid. And that's what he tells you and I. A lot of people today are scared to death about the world situation. God says in his word that he didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and sound mind. Let me tell you, he's saying here, we, we come here every week and we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ because if Jesus did not arise, then we're still in our sins. We're still in our sins. And we'll be cast out into outer darkness when that time comes. You know, Revelation chapter 5 says it like this. Being... Look again, the, the Lamb of glory being worshipped and adored by all of heaven. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them, I heard them saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to them forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever ever and ever ever. I want to tell you, the worship around the throne of God taking place even as we speak. It's beyond what we can even pin on these words today. John is getting revelation about all these things. 
a revealing and unveiling, and you look at it and you're going, wow, this is just overwhelming here. You know, and we take in what we can. And God says, we'll be blessed if we'll do that. But when we see Him in His fullness, we enter into that place that He has for us, and we will serve Him forever and ever and ever. We will be given assignments according to how faithful we have been on this earth. We'll be given places of authority when we're in heaven, when the new millennial has come and so forth. All of that. Not an end to the world in that way. An end to the age. The end of the age. The second thing is, we look at our hurry between the gospel and also what John is seeing here. Remember Jesus, born in a manger. He was uh, obviously the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We see here he's a lion. (laughs) The lion of Judah. Uh, and, and we see, and the two come together. He is a lion. He is a lamb here, obviously. And Pilate looked at him, and he said this, Do you know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? And Jesus said, You have no power that I don't give you. My Father doesn't give you, basically. That's what he's saying. You don't have any power. He lays his life down voluntarily. He said, No man takes my life from me. I lay it down there. Jesus, obviously, here, in, in seeing the difference between Jesus, as the baby who grew up and he went around the countryside healing people and delivering people and sharing about the kingdom of God. All of these things here. But in the book of Revelation, we see him in his second coming. We see him coming for a different purpose here. In his second coming, he comes to put down all rebellion and to rule the earth in righteousness. He has power over all. You have the same power in you, the Holy Spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead. The Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God Almighty lives within us. Power. Resurrection power to live the Christian life, to witness, to pray for people, to believe God for great things today. I believe He's doing that. He's changing our hearts, isn't He? We see here as the book, the events in the book of Revelation unfold. Obviously, also does the manifestation of Jesus. Babylon, Babylon has fallen. The bride has joined him in, in heaven. And the end of the age is at hand. The armies of the earth have gathered against Jerusalem, but in doing that, they have gathered against the Messiah, really. It's against the Messiah. When you have some type of persecution, it's not about you personally. It's about where you stand. It's about who's in you. It's about your values. It's about what God has imparted to your life. It's not personal there at all. And we see the armies of millions are going to bring the troubled scenario, Israel, into submission there. And so there they are at Armageddon, I believe. Iran has, has nukes and confident there and all the people there. All this stuff is happening. America has, has a coalition and we'll try to get things under her control. Russia has descended from the north, and Asia has sent an army of over 200 million men. There's going to be a horrible battle there at the Battle of Armageddon. It's going to be, it said, the blood there in that valley will be up to the horse's bridles. Many people say it will be because of the splattering of the blood, but certainly there will be bloodshed like we've never seen before. This stuff will happen, church. This stuff is real. This is the Word of God. Here. Listen to this, though. You got to hear this. Revelation 19. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, 
and righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. There are things, you know, obviously, about God we will never know. He's too big, awesome. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron here. Here it goes on to say in verse 16, And he has on a robe, and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. He's coming back to rule and to reign and to judge, bring righteous judgment to the world. And you and I, <laughs> whew, we're protected if you're saved. You're protected. Get right with God. He's the same yesterday, today, and and forevermore. We see him in the full revelation as the resurrected king. He's the lamb and the lion, all the same there. Obviously, we see here when he comes back, we get a revelation of the authority of God. We see his wrath. I love to talk about the love of God. We have talked about that. But the other side of that is the wrath of God. But the wrath is not for us believers. The wrath are for unbelievers. The wrath that we see. Obviously, you can't read the book of Revelation and, and conclude that Jesus was just a good man and he was just another one of the prophets there. You can't see him as John sees him and think that gentle Jesus could ever execute righteous judgments of the Almighty. His very appearance in Revelation 19 actually melts the flesh off his enemy's bones. Zechariah 14. It goes on, and I'll read it here, verse 12. And this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall dissolve while they stand on their feet, and their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets, and their tongues shall dissolve in their mouths. That's going to happen. This is the word of God here. When people want to play rough with Jesus, I want to tell you they're playing rough with the wrong one. I hear sometimes his name in vain and, and all that. I'm not going to even give the, 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 the letters of it. I don't even want to do that. I want to tell you, I hear that, and I cringe, and I, you don't know what you're doing. Repent and turn to the Lord. It's very important understanding these things. Today, there are millions, all kinds of injustices going on the earth. Nation rises against nation. Obviously, we see wars bring all kinds of misery to people. Aggressive people abuse weaker people, and they seem to be getting away with it. We have millions of babies who have been murdered in the womb. And the question we sometimes have is, God, when are you going to come and make it right? He will, church. He will. This is encouraging. He will. But he's slow to anger. He wishes none to perish, but all to come to everlasting life. And that is, the, obviously, the point. He wishes none to come to everlasting life. We don't want anybody going out into eternity 
without Jesus Christ in their heart. And you and I need to be ready in season and out of season to share that hope that we have. His name is Jesus. He's on the move. He's doing things today. One day he'll come riding in on that white horse with King of Kings and Lord of Lords there on his thigh. Be ready. I'll, I'll close with this very quickly. We studied this Wednesday night. The whole thing was basically that we're trying to cultivate wanting God's Spirit to stir a passion for Jesus Christ. Okay. And we're going to play a song too. So can y'all hang with me just a minute? I'm a little bit old, over. We've gone long. I've been, I've been long. If you need to leave, you can, please. I, that does not bother me if you do. There's seven longings of the heart, and I want to make this real brief. But one of those longings of the heart is having the, the, the assurance that you are enjoyed by God. That you're enjoyed by God. Now let me tell you, I have, I'm as, as a minister, and you too, so we're none, obviously, isolated from this. But I have thoughts that come my way sometimes that really bring almost like a real heavy condemnation upon me. And there's a battle that goes on because it's in your mind. And so when I, we started studying this on Wednesday night about that longing is the assurance in every believer's heart that you're enjoyed by God. Let me tell you today, if you're a Christian today, you are enjoyed by God. And you may say and sometimes come back to me and say, Jim, but yeah, but isn't that when we, we just get to heaven, he's going to enjoy us? No, he enjoys you right now. And you may say, but Jim, isn't that a time when maybe um, I'm more spiritually mature? Because I don't feel real spiritually mature right now. Let me tell you today, I want to just, just right now speak this over you. You are enjoyed by God. Right now, right where you are in your walk with Christ. You may feel like you're spiritually immature. You may feel like you're spiritually mature. You are enjoyed by God. God enjoys you. The Bible says he sings over us, and it says his banner over us is love. Don't let the devil tell you that, because if not, he'll, keep you, he'll try to keep you down. And he wants you on your back. And he wants you to be, feel condemned. You are enjoyed by God right now no matter where you are in your spiritual maturity. We're all at different places, aren't we? That's okay. It's okay. We're just to love one another anyway. Accept one another. And I pray for you today. If, if the enemy right now, and maybe somebody here, and, and the enemy has just hit you with condemnation about, man, maybe you blew it, okay? Then what you do is you confess it and just repent of it and get back up and go. Don't stay down. The devil says stay down. You are enjoyed by God right now. Isn't that great? That's good news, and that's the Bible. Read John 17. You don't believe me? Take God's word for it. You're enjoyed by God. Amen?